Well, thank you so much, Stan and worship team, for leading us into the songs of worship. And thank you to uh, Pastor Steve Louie for uh, sharing what the Lord has been doing through him and his family as they serve at BMW's home office. It's good to be with you here this morning. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 42. And we're going to take a look at what God has to say about suffering and loving him in the midst of suffering. So Psalm 42, the psalmist writes this, For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sounds of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you for your word and for how your word speaks to us in every season of our lives. We're grateful to you for how in this psalm we understand how we can turn to you, how we can trust in you even in times of sorrow and deep distress. All the while praising you, all the while not losing hope. And so we pray, Father, that as we study your word this morning, that you would bring great glory and honor to yourself as we desire to see how we can maintain a right attitude in the midst of suffering. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I was recently reminded by a brother that it is refreshing and necessary for us to not only sing songs that call for us to rejoice and anticipate what awaits us in eternity, but to also sing songs that express sorrow and hope in God. Now, this may seem contradictory to us today, as the act of singing is often seen as an act of joyful worship. There is an entire category of psalms labeled laments, where the psalmist were laying bare their souls before God in their grief before turning to him in hope. While songs that express lament have not 
disappeared entirely from Reformed churches. Even Reformed churches tend not to sing songs of lament often, opting for songs that are more encouraging, more hopeful. And while there's nothing wrong with singing songs that are more encouraging and hopeful, the lack of balance that we can have when we sing songs together or listen to songs privately can cause these worship songs to ring hollow when what we hear doesn't line up with what we feel. Yes, God has given us songs to sing which encourage us to celebrate and rejoice over the great things that he has done, but he has also equally given us songs to sing when we're miserable. We tend to look at times of misery and suffering as unwelcome house guests that have barged into our lives. And as a result, we do everything we can to kick these neighbors who have overstayed their welcome out of our lives as soon as possible. But what if? What if misery and suffering choose not to leave your life right away? What if this rough patch in your life turns into an extended period of suffering? Who are you going to turn to? How can you turn what you are feeling over to the Lord so that he can use these things to lift you up? While we should strive to have people in this church with whom we can be transparent with, the reality of life is that we might not always be in a place where we can receive immediate help or comfort in our times of sorrow and hurt. Even if we do have friends and family that we can turn to in these times, what if they're unable to provide us with the help we believe we need? As cliche as it may sound, this is where... We remember what the scriptures say, what they have revealed to us about God and his loving care for us, how he promises to never leave us, how he calls for us to cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. God's comfort is not a consolation prize that we reluctantly pick up when our friends and family are busy. His comfort and care are exactly what we need so that even if our friends and family fail us, we can still have hope. Hope endures even in the midst of the deepest possible pain because we have a relationship with God. And we're going to see that this morning as we study this lament song through three truths that can comfort those who are hurting to hope in God. Three truths. That can comfort those who are hurting to hope in God. The first truth that can comfort those who are hurting to hope in God is that hurt reminds us to seek God. Hurt reminds us to seek God. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 42 is an unknown author. But what we can observe from these verses is that he is a very devoted lover and worshiper of God. He wrote Psalm 42 and 43 as one whole unit, one whole psalm. But the person who assembled the psalms, much like we would assemble a a hymn book, split up the two psalms into individual psalms for worship purposes, as each psalm is a complete psalm in and of itself. The psalmist identifies this psalm as a maskal, which is a wisdom psalm that has been set to music. It's a wisdom psalm 
that has been set to music. He wrote this psalm to music, not only to express his own feelings, but also to instruct future worshipers how to encounter their circumstances in a way that would be both instructive and memorable. And as a result, he set his teaching to music so that people could remember this teaching even when desperation might cause them to temporarily forget God. So let's take a look at what he has to say in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. The psalmist begins with a now famous simile, comparing his desire for God to the panting of a deer for water. When we think about this passage, the panting of the deer seems to merely be describing a deer that's thirsty. And while it's true that the deer desires water because it's thirsty, its panting indicates that this deer is desiring relief. Relief from heat, relief from thirst. Heat and dehydration drive drives this deer to seek after water. It is a survival feature that God has given the deer so that they will survive. And this is the survival feature that the author is likening his experience to. This is not simply a psalm that talks about how the psalmist loves God. The psalmist's soul is desperately longing after God, just like the deer is desperately longing after water. And his desperation is apparent as he repeats in verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The emphasis on the fact that the psalmist's desire is for the living God is significant because it's a reminder of whom the psalmist is seeking. He is not seeking after an idol who is unable to help. He is not seeking after a false god that only offers promises but has no power to deliver. The psalmist is seeking after the living God. The God of Israel who has proved throughout the nation's history that he is strong and mighty to save. He knows that God was the one who chose to build the nation through Israel. He knows that God was the one who delivered the people of Israel out from the land of Egypt. He knows that God was with the people as they conquered the land of Canaan to be their home. He knows that God has made this small nation into a powerful kingdom. And for this reason, he seeks after the living God. And we get the sense... The psalmist's desire for God is motivated by more than love for God. In the second half of the verse, when he asks the question, When shall I come and appear before God? Yes, the psalmist loves God. Yes, the psalmist has a deep trust in God. But what is driving him to seek after God in this particular moment are times of trouble. Times of deep hurt. And this question is often the question that we ask in times of hurt and anguish because we want to plead our case before God. We want his help. We want his comfort. And so we too resonate with this cry, when can I come before God? When can I see him? Why does the psalmist want to come and appear before God? What is this? What is his trial? Verse 3 says this, My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me all day long, where is your God? As we'll see later in verses 9 and 10, the identity of those who are speaking to the psalmist are enemies who are mocking him and oppressing him through their taunts. It's unclear whether these enemies are doing more than mocking the psalmist with their words, but what we can tell is that their mocking and their oppression of him have had a great effect on his soul to the point of many tears. These tears he sheds are so great, they're so significant, they occur so often that the psalmist describes his tears as his food day and night. His tears are pouring down his face as he grieves and mourns. And it enters into his mouth so that he can say that it is like his food day and night. You get the picture. It's ugly crying when the tears just keep coming and you don't wipe them away. You just let them flow. This is the grief that he experiences. This is the grief that drives him to seek after God. And a clue as to what lies beneath some of this grief is found in verse 4 as he describes what he is remembering. The first sentence says this, These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. This is a reference to his prayer before God. As he's remembering who God is and he's praying, his prayer involves turning over everything in his soul to God. The psalmist holds nothing back. As he prays, he's just pouring out the depths of his heart to God in his anguish. And part, and part of it is due to something else that he remembers. As he's praying, the psalmist remembers his participation in the worship of God and how he used to go with the crowds of faithful worshipers into the house of God with joy and thanksgiving as they obey God's command to have worship festivals. And for whatever reason... This thing that he found great joy in has been cut off from him. He's been denied access. He no longer has access to this joyful worship with the rest of the saints. Which is why he mourns. Because he feels like he's only been left with a memory of what God has done. And the good times that he's experienced with God's people. And despite what he does not have. The psalmist turns to the Lord in his struggle seeking after God. So what we learn from the psalmist is that our hurt should not cause us to stay within ourselves when we're suffering. While we may not be ready to share our hurts with our friends or family, we do not have to bear our hurt alone. In our moment of pain, we are not alone. God has not abandoned us with mere memories, but the memory of God drives us to worship him in trust, in faith, in longing anticipation. You know full well, brothers and sisters, that God does not speak to us audibly, nor does he always let us know why we encounter the trials that we face. But just because he does not seem to make himself demonstrably present In our lives during times of need. Does not mean that he no longer cares. Or is not present. The psalmist gives us an example to follow. Hurt should cause us to seek after God. Because we know he is there. We know that he can be found. And as a result we seek after him earnestly. Even if we're unsure of the results. And even if we're not sure of what God might 
be doing, there are a few things that we do know. We know that God loves us. We know that God cares for us. We know that God will not abandon those who have placed their faith in him. And we know that God is good. It might not seem like much, but these few things that we do know are not consolation prizes. They are truths that we treasure, that we cling on to in times of trouble because we know that even if we feel like we may be alone, our Lord is with us. He can be found and he is doing something in our lives for our good. And that's a comforting thought. And that leads us to a second truth that can comfort those who are hurting, which is that hurt reminds us to remember God. Hurt reminds us to remember God. As the psalmist is seeking after God in his prayers and remembering some of the former joys he experienced in his life when he was worshiping with God's people, he finds no relief. He is still sad. He is still distraught, which is why he says here in verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? The psalmist knows that he still feels despair in his soul. And so he examines his heart. He doesn't just let his feelings take over, but he questions his feelings. He questions his attitude. And it's not a harsh rebuke. But an honest question meant to cause himself to seek an answer. What is that answer? What is the answer to his problem? The answer to his problem is this. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. The solution to the psalmist's despair is a gentle reminder to hope in God. Why? Should he hope in God, though his soul has become disturbed within him? Why should he hope in God, though his soul despairs? It's because the psalmist knows that he will once again praise God for God's personal help, for God's deliverance from the times of trouble. The word hope can also be translated as wait. So what the psalmist is saying here about our hope in God is that it is not some wishy-washy hope that is holding out for the mere possibility of God's deliverance. Rather, hope in God is patient expectation of God's deliverance or action. We wait knowing that he will deliver us. We wait knowing that he will deliver help us and his presence will be known through the help he provides whether it be through the provision of what we need or friends or family who come alongside us in our desperation knowing that we will praise God for his future help that he will certainly provide we are instructed to hope in God we remind our souls to hope in God and yet Despite these confident words, despite the hope and expectations of God's help that we might have, it is still possible. It is still possible that we will not escape the feelings of despair so easily. We may still struggle with our despair, even though 
we know we ought to hope in God. And we see that as the author cries out to God and admits, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. He is laying bare his soul before God. He's letting his feelings He's letting his feelings be made known. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. The feeling of, the, of despair, though it continues, though the psalmist still wrestles with it, does not paralyze the psalmist into inaction. It does not cause him to lose all hope, to give everything over to his feelings and just to wallow in despair Rather, the psalmist continues and he says, Therefore, therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Here in verse 6, we have more clues as to why, what, what may be the source of the psalmist's trouble. He had previously mentioned in verse 4 how he had enjoyed corporate worship with God's people in God's house. That's in Jerusalem. The psalmist's memory of worship in Jerusalem, along with these geographical markers, which places him near the border of Syria, the northern border of Israel, shows us that he is far, far away from Jerusalem. Perhaps he's even in exile. And yet, despite how far away he is from Jerusalem, as he is despairing, he remembers God again. He might be far from the center of worship, but he remembers God again. God himself, not the worship that he shared with the people of God, but God himself. And that is who the psalmist brings to his mind in his sorrow. Remembering God is important, especially in light of how the psalmist describes his struggle in verse 7. He writes, deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The reference to the deep in the Hebrew typically refers to the ocean. But here it can also refer to the collection of water in pools and the winding rapids of the Jordan River. The Hebrew conception of the deep was that the seas were a place of chaos and death. Normally when we think of waterfalls, we think of them as peaceful. Especially if we're near a waterfall, we're just sitting there and we're just listening to the sound of the water cycle through. They're usually not perceived to be places of danger unless we're watching TV shows or movies where someone is in the river and they're drifting precariously to the edge of the waterfall. But here what the psalmist is saying is that the roar of the waterfall, where he is, as deep calls to deep, perhaps he's in a cave, And the echo is reverberating throughout the cave. Is deafening. It's overbearing. The sound of these waterfalls. In conjunction with the trouble that he faces. Makes him feel as if he's floating in the ocean. That he's all alone. That his feelings are overwhelming him. That as he's in this ocean. The waves are crashing over him. As they're tossing him to and fro. This is how he's feeling. This is the sorrow, the depth of the sorrow that he is experiencing. You'll notice that the psalmist does not shy away from expressing how he feels to God. He is very honest 
with how his circumstances are affecting him and how he is struggling to get rid of his despair. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't let his feelings overwhelm him. Even though he's very transparent, he does not blame God for what is happening. He does not lash out against God in anger. Rather, the psalmist tells God what he's feeling. And then as he notes what he's feeling, he moves to inform his feelings with truth about God. Verse 8 says this, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. As he informs himself with the truth, there is no indication that the stress or the pressure has eased any. But the psalmist remembers that God provides or orders his loving kindness in the daytime. And this is the idea that we find in Lamentations 3.22-23. to When Jeremiah notes that God's loving kindnesses never cease and they are new every morning. God ordains or provides us his loving kindness every single day. It doesn't expire after a trial period of 14 days. He renews it day after day after day. And the psalmist recognizes this. He recognizes that God provides or orders his loving kindness in the daytime. And it does not run out. And when he says that the loving kindness are commanded in the daytime. He doesn't mean that the loving kindness stops in the evening. He is merely recognizing how God acts daily to care for him. When the day turns to evening, and the psalmist is more likely to be alone, more likely to be left to his own thoughts, to return to the place of sorrow, he says that God's song will be within, within him in the night. This song is not a worship song. That the Israelites would have sung in their corporate gatherings. But it is his prayer to God. The psalmist's example of singing his prayer to God. Does not mean however. That we also have to turn our prayers into songs. If we want comfort. Or if we want God to hear us. And that's good news for a lot of us. Because we're not that creative. Rather what he's emphasizing here. Is that remembering who God is. And remembering how God commands His loving kindness in the day leads to sustaining prayer, even in times of isolation and quiet. And for the psalmist, it meant that he sung his prayers with his struggles before God, along with reminders of God's grace. He sings these things to himself to remind his feelings of what is true. Not what feels true, but what is true. When we are overwhelmed with our suffering, it's easy to allow our feelings to take complete control over us. It's easy to wallow in our grief and frustration because what we feel is so overwhelming. But what we learn from the psalmist here is that our hurt must lead us to remember God. And that's slightly different from just seeking after God. We can seek after God in our hurt. We can look to him for answers. We can look to him for comfort. All the while forgetting his character. When we seek after God, we have to also remember his character, his promises, and his goodness. 
remembering God's character may not help us feel better immediately, but the assurance of who he is will carry us through literal night and what we perceive to be spiritual night. God does not promise that seeking after him and remembering all that he will do and is will remove all of our suffering from us. He does not promise that life will get any easier. He does promise, though, to be there to see us through. In John 10, 27 to 30, Jesus explains to the Jews who are wondering who he is that he is the good shepherd. And those who believe are his sheep, who hear his voice, and they follow after him. And what he says next is extremely comforting as we remember who he is and what he has done. Those who are his receive eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of his hand because nobody can snatch God's people out of God's hands. Believer, you may suffer in this life. You may struggle mightily. Even though you know good theological truth. Because times of intense trial can push our faith to the limit. And can cause us to forget, doubt, or both. And it is in these times that the simple truths, though not profound, though perhaps overly familiar, can be of great help to us in our confusion and perplexity. Simple truths, like the fact that God will not abandon us, that he will not let anyone take us out of his hand, can be great, of great help to us. We don't even know what else to think about our situation. When our feelings threaten to overwhelm us and cause us to despair to the point where we feel that all hope is lost, we must speak truth back to our feelings to remind us who we need to turn to in our suffering. Our suffering should not lead us To seek after alcohol, chocolate, ice cream, or any other mindless activity we might want to turn to in order to take the edge off of our suffering. Rather, we ought to turn to God and pour out ourselves to Him in prayer, knowing that He listens to us. That He actually understands us. And that He has not left us alone. When Jesus prayed for his disciples and for the generations of disciples who would follow after them in John 17, he did not pray for us to be removed from the earth, but for us to stay here and be protected from the evil one. Jesus prayed for us because he has a purpose for all of us, which is why instead of just sending us home to heaven to be with God when we believe, he keeps us here. Because he has a plan for us. He has a job for us to do. He has a purpose, a kingdom purpose for each and every one of us to fulfill. And for that reason, we stay. And that means when we suffer, there is a purpose even for that. We need to remember that God does not allow for us to suffer needlessly, even though it might feel like that in the moment. God has a purpose even For our suffering. And so even though it's hard. Even though it hurts. Even though we may not understand. We remember who he is. 
why he has us here. And we look to him with eyes of faith as we patiently wait for him to do his will in our lives because we know we can trust him. Remembering who God is and what he is doing in the midst of our suffering leads us to our third truth that can comfort those who are hurting to hope in God, which is that hurt reminds us to wait upon God. Hurt reminds us to wait upon God. Verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Despite the incredible job the psalmist does of counseling himself and his emotions, the psalmist's journey through suffering is not smooth as he continues to endure suffering at the hands of his enemies. Yet, even in his struggle to maintain a hopeful perspective, he has not lost his faith in God. He calls God his rock, something that David does often to describe the steadfast and reliable nature of God. In doing so, the psalmist maintains that God is the anchor of his soul, that God is solid footing for him. But at the same time, he struggles with his perspective on the situation. As he is suffering, at very least verbal abuse from his enemies, the psalmist cries out and asks God, Why have you forgotten me? We, of course, know that God cannot forget. And the psalmist certainly knows that as well. But from his perspective, from his perspective, it feels like God has forgotten him. And this is not an outright accusation that God has forgotten him, but an expression of what he's feeling. It's from his vantage point, because his enemies are relentless in their attacks against him, causing him to feel as if his very bones have been shattered as a result of their attacks. Even though we might feel better after we counsel ourselves with the truth, there will be times where we will still struggle Especially if what caused us to despair continues to persist or bring back or, or bring us back to the place of despair. Just because we know the truth does not mean that we can banish despair or sinful feelings away from us immediately and forever. Maintaining a Christ honoring attitude in our suffering is a battle, one that may not resolve itself easily. It could take days, weeks, months, years. Perhaps it might never leave us at all in this life. And even if we find no resolution to our suffering in this life, we must battle to inform our feelings with the truth. We have to battle to tell our feelings not to be impatient, not to grow weary, not to despair but to continue to hope in God because he truly is a rock for all who repent of their sins and place their faith in him. The battle to trust in God 
to remember to wait upon God, even if it takes millions of reminders to ourselves to trust in him as seen in verse 11. As the psalmist repeats what he says in verse 5, saying, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The psalmist is taking another look at his soul after another barrage of mockery and fresh feelings of pain. And he counsels himself again. And as he counsels himself again, he he repeats the same counsel to himself. To wait upon God. To hope in God. And as he counsels himself to wait upon God because he knows he will praise God again in the future, he changes The way he looks at God slightly by calling God the help of his countenance and his God. So what the psalmist recognizes here is that God not only will deliver him because of God's faithfulness, but that God will also be the help of his feelings. Despair and sorrow can cause our faces to be downcast. And while deliverance may not be immediate, the hope that we have in God can lift us up so that even in suffering we can have joy knowing that our God is for us. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. We can have joy and still be sad. We can have joy and still suffer. And so what we're talking about here is that God can still provide us joy even in the midst of suffering. God's not asking you to plaster a phony smile on your face and to pretend like everything's okay. He's asking for you to hope in Him, to trust in Him, to rely upon Him. And as He does so, He will provide you that life-sustaining joy. Brothers and sisters, we may not know when our trials will cease. But we do know what God has said. And I know that for those of you who have suffered and you've heard the same truths over and over again, these truths can become wearisome to your souls. That you can grow tired of hearing these truths when life doesn't seem to get better. And all you see is the persistence of your circumstances and it seems like they won't end. It's in those times. It's in those times that you need to examine your soul. Not look for ways to ignore your heart. Not give excuses for your feelings because what you've accidentally done, what you've accidentally done, along with every other believer who's been in your position before, who's been tempted to despair in their circumstances, is that you've accidentally slipped into practical unbelief. You've allowed for yourself to believe that God is not enough. That God does not care. That God is not trustworthy. You've lost all hope because you forgot that hope in God means to wait upon God for perhaps an unspecified amount of time. And discouragement has crept through your door along with suffering and has made their home with you as they whisper to you in your ear all day long. Where is your God? Remind yourself of the truths 
that God has given and pour out your soul before him, knowing that as you do so, he hears you. He understands you and that he is answering you even if you cannot hear him and even if you cannot immediately see how he is working. I know that this may not be consolation to you at this moment, but when you remember these things and you tell your feelings what is true, you can begin to win the battle of emotions and feelings as you entrust yourself to God, knowing that you will yet praise him. God does not promise that life will always be happy when we believe upon Jesus Christ. In fact, difficulty seems to find us a lot easier than it did before we believed in Jesus. Before we believed that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we might be saved when we place our faith in him. And even though times might get rougher, find courage and encouragement in the fact that God does not leave us alone. He has provided us a church family that can come alongside us, that can minister to us, that is tasked with the duty of bearing one another's burdens. And not only that, but he has also given us the Holy Spirit to remind us of the things that he has taught us in his word. For those of you who are suffering, these truths can comfort us. The truths that hurt should remind us to seek God. It should remind us to remember God. It should remind us to wait upon God. And these are comforting because our souls need to be reminded of these truths. Even if we despise them. Even if we get weary of hearing them because of their familiarity. We need to hear these things because we need to be reminded to trust God. To love God. And to remember that he has our good in mind. For those of you who are not currently or have not suffered. Know that time of trial. Times of trial will come. There will be times when your faith gets stretched. And you will have to fall back on the truth. When your feelings are telling you otherwise. Preparing for suffering now will not make suffering any easier. It will still hurt. You'll still wonder why. You'll still ask God if he's forgotten you. But it will help. It will help you lean on God quicker when you're tempted to lose heart. When we seek after God, remember him and wait patiently upon him, we know that God himself, God himself will be the one who will be the rock upon whom we'll stand. He will finish the good work he began in us. And he will bring us to glory to be with him where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Let me end with this. 1 Peter 5, 6-11. This is so helpful when we encounter times of trials. Peter writes this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to you for your word and for how it reminds us in so many different ways why and how we can trust in you. We're grateful for the Psalms and how Psalm 42 teaches us to look to you in times of suffering, to seek after you, to remember you, and to wait patiently upon you as we wait for you to intervene because we know you will intervene. And so, Lord, when we find ourselves in deep sorrow, may we not turn inward to ourselves, but may we cry out to you, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you listen, knowing that you will answer. We pray that you would remind us even to sing. To sing of the hope that we have in you. May those songs of hope carry us through the night. So that even when we suffer, we will not lose heart. Because we know you care for us. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this comfort. It's your sons that we pray. Amen.